0: Good evening everyone, it's good to see you all, it's a privilege to be the first to lead off our uh, family camp teaching, as you may or may not be aware, our theme is on the Christian family, and I want to talk a little bit about that tonight and different people within a family, I want to talk about the family of God, sort of setting the big context, Uh, if you would, please turn in your Bibles to the second chapter of the book of Titus. Which, if you're flipping in your Bibles, is after Second Timothy. Let me ask uh, our young people here, or young at heart, as it were, um, who can answer this question for me? When did, uh, when, who was the first family? Who's the first family? Adam and, Eve. Adam and Eve. That's right. That's right. And and how did that family come together? You or anyone else? That's right. That's absolutely right. If you if I had a gold star, you would get one. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. God created the family, didn't he? That's right. He created the family in the 6 days within the 6 days of creation and is a part of God's creation which was declared very good. Now, God also created another family. He created a household. Jesus founded it. And Jesus is currently building it. And He will definitely succeed in His mission. This household is called the church. Read First Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Say this, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Now, that is quite a lofty calling for the church, isn't it? To be a pillar and a buttress of God's truth. It, it, it is so very true that we in this world support God's truth. We declare it, we proclaim it, we uphold it in this age. And now, maybe not more than ever before, but certainly now, we need to uphold God's truth in an age where um, both families are being attacked viciously by our enemy. Uh, But both families, the, the individual family or the nuclear family and the family of God, they both build, support, and strengthen the other. When one is spiritually unhealthy, the other risks spiritual sickness as well. Now one can serve to correct and help the other. When both are functioning well, both can thrive. But both must be put in order. And the Bible speaks of putting both in order as well. If you just look at Ch- Titus chapter one and verse 5, our, our text tonight will be out of chapter two, but this sets the stage. If you just look at uh, Titus chapter 1 verse 5, Paul tells Titus to whom he writes this letter, what his job is, what his mission is. And he says this, "This is why I left you in Crete." so that you might put what remained into order, and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So, pretty clear. Titus's goal is to put what remained into order and to appoint elders. But there's a problem in Crete. And the problem is, is that there are these false teachers who are upsetting things. And I want us to take a note. look at this. Let's look at verses 10 and 11 in the first chapter. Titus 1, verses 10 and 11. Take a look at that. It says this, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting, notice what it says there, whole families, by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. So, that is... That is what the problem is at the church in Crete. That these false teachers, by their false teaching, are upsetting whole families. And that's what false teaching does. And that is what uh, incorrect or unhealthy living, to sort of borrow what we're going to look at here, unhealthy living, that's what it does to families. It upsets entire families. It blows them up. Some of us have had the unfortunate experience in our lives, in one way or the other, of experiencing this. But when the family is ordered by the Word of God, despite ourselves, things tend to work a little better. Things tend to go well for us, don't they? Not all the time, right? Not all the time. Certainly there are some things that can distract us, lead us astray. Uh, our own sin gets in the way, right? Right? And uh, we're certainly not called to a perfect life, but we follow what the Word of God says. Um, things are put into order. And that's what I want to discuss with us uh, tonight in the few minutes that we have. There are solutions that Paul gives in the book of Titus. He says that these false teachers should be rebuked sharply. That's in uh, Titus chapter 1, verse 13. And he tells Titus to teach what accords with sound doctrine. That's what we're going to look at tonight. That's in chapter 2, verse 1. And the the Cretans should also be reminded of the truth which accords with godliness. So what's the main idea? What's the big picture we should take away? It should be this. Then when the church teaches different persons within the family of God what accords with sound doctrine and understands why they should teach it, the family of God and the families are put into order. Again, so... When the church teaches different persons within the family of God what accords with sound doctrine and understands why they should teach it, the family of God and families are put into order. So, our first our first main idea here. What puts families and the family of God into order is teaching what accords with sound doctrine. Let's look at, look at chapter 2 and verse 1. Paul says to Titus, But as for you, teach what accords with With sound doctrine. That word accords. Dictionaries use the words fitting and proper to define this word. The false teachers had upset Cretan families by teaching false doctrine for shameful gain. Isn't it usually about the money? right? And uh, these false teachers were no exception. They taught false doctrine for shameful gain. Paul instructs Titus to instead teach what accords with sound doctrine thereby putting into order what these false teachers had upset. Greek dictionaries give two basic definitions for the Greek word for sound here, either healthy or accurate or correct. While healthy is appealing, I, I I lean towards the idea of, of correct, but you could, I guess, take it either way. Um, one one uh, author, Ulrich Luck, he says this, quote, This is the traditional teaching which is... Established and validated by the apostles and preserved by the office to which Timothy and Titus are called. End quote. And then he continues this quote, The concern of this teaching is not with a speculative soteriology, that's salvation, doctrine of salvation, slanted away from the world, but with true, rational, and proper life in the world, which as creation is characterized by order and reason. End quote. So the idea here is this teaching is reasonable. It's rational. It it accords with sound doctrine. It fits. It goes together. Brothers and sisters, we need to be reminded, and I'll just put this rather bluntly, that we're not the crazy ones in the world. It may seem like that. It may look like that. You you might be what in in popular vernacular today is called gaslighted, right? The idea of you're told something long enough, a lie long enough, you start to believe it. But we have a God who, in Titus, as Titus chapter one verse three says, never lies, and He always tells us the truth, and He always tells us what's for our good, and what and lives that accord with sound doctrine are proper and reasonable and orderly, and it's the proper way that we should live in the world. So if we are to have any reason in this world that seems to be crazier by the day, depending on what you what what you see and what you uh, the news that you take in, despite that, this will this will set us right. This will set us on the path that we need to go on. This is the way of sanity. This is the way of health. All right. So our second idea, our second point here: every kind of person in a family, in the family of God, is put into order. Every kind, every type. Paul, Paul discusses every type. It's really amazing how specific he gets here. Uh, every type of person in a family, and the family of God, is put into order to in living a self-controlled, upright, and godly life. Now I pull that those words there from verse 12 in chapter 2. You can see them right there. Self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So every type of person is put into order in living a self-controlled, upright, and godly life, which accords, or goes along with, sound doctrine. Paul specifies how specific people groups within families and the family of God are put into order. So let's look at them. Uh, First one, older men. Verse 2. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. All right, let's, let's take a look at these. We don't have time to go into all of them. I think I probably spent a little bit too much time in, in the dictionaries, but it is what it is now at this point. Um, the word sober-minded. Uh, one commentator, his name is D. Edmund Hebert. He, he gives a definition I like. He puts it this way. A definition of, quote, clear-headed. Manifesting self-possession under all circumstances. End quote. I like that. I like that. Clear-headed. This seems to capture the idea well. Don't we need clear-headed people in the church today? And don't we need clear-headed people in our families as well? A person who's clear-headed, who's not upset, who can see things rightly and know how to appropriately react or plan. Right? We need more sober-mindedness. Not only for older men, but for all of us. Amen? And that's the point that we want to make too, is that these character traits... Don't, they aren't just for the specific people group that Paul addresses, right? They're for everybody. But he especially addresses these particular groups. And we'll, moving ahead, we have the word dignified. The word dignified. Now, Greek dictionaries indicate that this word conveys, among other things, the concept of dignity, respect, honor, seriousness, and worthiness. Older men and families and in the family of God should live in such a way that their behavior indicates that they take their faith and their responsibilities with the utmost seriousness. And as some of these dictionaries indicate, they live their lives in such a way that it commands respect. Have any of you had, have had the privilege of knowing an older man who is dignified? And whose life was in such... not perfect, of course, but lived in such a way that... Not that he would say, you should respect me, but by the way he lived his life, it just commanded that respect. Do you ever have that experience? It's a one I'm sure that you reflect on well, and it's one that we certainly need more of in the church. And I think that we do have some good examples of that at Rockport. And may their tribe increase ever even more. Amen? Alright, and now we have the word that comes up again and again and again in the book of Titus. What is it? Self-control. Do you see it? Self-control. Two Greek dictionaries both use the words moderate and sensible to describe this word. Now the Legacy Standard Bible and the New American Standard 95 version use the word sensible to translate this word. It's a, it's a good word. In a culture, uh, the Cretan culture, which was known by their beastly behavior and their self-indulgence, self-control, crucifying the flesh... Denying yourself and embracing righteousness was greatly needed for every person. And wouldn't you say that that certainly applies today? Self control certainly applies today. This word, or a form of this word, appears six times in the book of Titus. You can even count them. You know, six times. Chapter 1, verse 8, chapter 2, verse 2, chapter 2, verse 4, chapter 2, verse 5, chapter 2, verse 6, chapter 2, verse 12. It highlights the importance for the need for the church to live this way. I think of the uh, verse in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs twenty-five, twenty-eight: A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. This, if, if, boys and girls, let me encourage you tonight. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. Start to master self control now. Because the Bible gives a very vivid illustration of what happens if you don't. See, back then cities were they had walls around them. So they protect them from armies and people who would want to kill them. And if you didn't have a wall, you had no defence. You are open to anybody to taking advantage of you, robbing you, and perhaps hurting you, maybe even killing you. If you don't have self-control, the Bible says you're just like that. You are open game for anybody. And certainly every age group needs to hear that. Amen? And we are not left defenseless. We have the Holy Spirit who resides within us, who helps us to learn self-control so do yourself a favor young man and young woman learn this now try something easy right if you have a certain amount of electronic time and you're allotted a certain amount of time when it's done be done or maybe even surprise your mom and dad stop at five minutes early they might they might they, they might be shocked they might uh, they might not know who you are and what happened to you just a thought. And these other words, sound in faith. And then you can supply the word sound in love. And then sound in steadfastness. These men are to be sound in this. In steadfastness. Let's look at that word. Uh, Two Greek dictionaries share the words patience, perseverance, and endurance to describe this word. Isn't that something that we should all be known for? To endure, to be patient, and to persevere. So, we have our, our guidance for the older men. And, older men, I want to call out to you and say, we need your example in families, and we need your example in the church of God. Right? Don't fall into the temptation to sort of just pack it in and, and rest easy. We need your example. We need your example of faithfulness demonstrated to us. And for those who are maybe here tonight and listening to this, or listening to this later, and you are doing that, as a pastor who I know says, I I would just echo him, excel still more. Keep doing that. Amen? Alright. Second one, older women. Older women. Verse 3 and the first half of verse 4. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love... Uh, I should cut off. I'm going into the young women section. But there we go for the older women. Okay. They are to be reverent in behavior. Let's take a look at that. One author, Gottlob Schrenk, defined it this way. And it's so simple and helpful. He said this, quote, The simple meaning is that we must take seriously the fact that we belong to God. End quote. I like that. That, That's how you can picture this word reverent. As he said, we take take seriously the fact that we belong to God. And we need older women's examples of that in their behavior, that they take seriously the fact that they belong to God and they live accordingly. Amen? Now this next one, not slanderers. I will just point out to you that the same underlying Greek word here is the same word for devil. And as it's been pointed out ever so clearly, and I don't need to harp, harp on this at all, but when you slander, you do the devil's work. And I think any uh, true person in the body of Christ who loves the Lord and wants to follow Him certainly doesn't want a reputation of that. Amen? So, uh, older women here are asked to, to guard their heart and to not be slanderers. Okay. Now, slaves to much wine. Uh, I kind of like the offbeat John Piper quotes. You know, people throw, um, you know, ones out there. He said something to the effect of that basically in the judgment in the last day, uh, he might have said Facebook, we'll just say so, social media, exists to show that basically a lack of prayer in Bible reading wasn't due to time. Is what he says. I would just sort of spin off of that and say that it will also show in the last day that there were people who actually were slaves to much wine. Let the reader understand. Um, with that. But the point of the matter is, is that this is, this is an issue. This is an issue. People who use alcohol it might not even be drunkenness, but to medicate. Right? This is something I'm sure you've heard of or familiar with. And Paul advises not to be a slave to much wine. again, this applies to to everyone. They are to teach what is good, thereby training the young women. Now this word train, it doesn't come out here in the translation, but this word is a very similar word to the word self-controlled. It's very similar. It's, It's very similar. Greek dictionaries convey... That the idea that this word, which it does mean instruct, means to instruct someone on how to live in a self-controlled manner. That's the idea there. Um, I like uh, uh, Ulrich Luck. He says that he cites other writings. I, I, he gives one definition of the word this way. I like this. He says this quote: "To make someone a sophron—that's that, the word for self-control—to bring it to bring him to reason." End quote. So you instruct someone in such a way to bring them back to a reasonable way of thinking. To to instruct someone to live self-controlled is not to squelch their fun. It's to bring them back to sanity. And the older women were to train the young women in this way so that they would not lose their minds in self-indulgence that they were not to go astray and 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 live in the in the slavery of their passions and destroy their families and possibly destroy their own souls Older women, we need you in the church as well to train younger women on how to live a self-controlled life, of how to live a life that's reverent behavior, on how to live a life that honors and pleases the Lord. And again, you are not left to your own devices there as well. Amen? You have the Holy Spirit to encourage you, and you have the Word of God to strengthen you. Next, we have the young women. Let's take a look at the second half of verse 4 and then verse 5. So, um... So, train, I'll, I'll just read verse 4 in entirety. And so, train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So, they're the first two to love their husbands and their children. You know, for some, you would think that this would be a um, sort of a given, sort of a natural thing. But, if Paul instructs, uh, Titus to teach the Cretan women to do this, then or that the older women should teach the Cretan women to do this, then it doesn't come all that naturally at times for some. Obviously, there's a there's a flesh that needs to be battled, there's this indwelling sin nature that needs to be battled there. So he encourages them to love their husbands and children. Again, to be self controlled. There it is again, the idea of self control. To be pure, to be working at home. Now, Greek dictionaries define the word, this word here as homemaker, and they use the phrase busy at home to describe it. I believe the Bible is clear that a believing woman's primary vocation is as a homemaker. I didn't say exclusive, just for the record. Um, uh, primary. It appears from God's Word that our generation is not the only one that struggled with this reality. Nevertheless, even this is listed among the characteristics which mark a believer as godly and upright. And if a woman uh, names Jesus as Savior and Lord, then she should be marked by this trait as well. Uh, moving on, uh, to be kind. I, again, I, I quote e, uh, D. Edmund Hebert. I found this amusing. He said this, quote, These, and then he's referencing what he calls, quote, the innumerable duties of the house, and he just mentioned that before, so he says, these demand unsparing self-giving and may subject her to the temptation to be irritable and harsh in her demands on members of the household. I'll stop right there. Nobody's ever struggled with that, right? To be irritable with your members of your household? I didn't think so. Okay, But anyway, just just work with me on it. Continuing with the quote, she must therefore cultivate the virtue of being kind, i.e. benevolent, Heartily doing what is good and beneficial to others, especially those of her household. End quote. And I can't think of a person who defines benevolence more than a mother. Amen. What, what a way to, what a way to show the love of God and the Holy Spirit's fruit in their life by being kind, by giving of themselves. So resist the temptation to irritability. And again, that would go for all of us. But I think mothers get driven especially crazy because uh, we're sinners, and we tend to drive moms crazy. But Lord, help us not to do that. Amen. All right. To be submissive to their own husbands. Okay? This, this same Greek root word uh, is submissive when it applies to slaves. And in uh, Titus 3.1, where it talks about uh, being submissive to rulers and authorities. It, it's the same thing. And the Bible talks about this in other places as well. Uh, due to the curse, it seems that submission to one's husband has been a struggle since the fall. But, as others have said, I'll just simply echo here that God doesn't call a woman to submit to all men, but only her husband, right? And that she should submit to Him in view of Christ. And that she should not submit to her husband if He directs her to sin. Amen? And if, he, and if the husband leads as Christ leads the church, then the submission would hopefully be one of joy. And what's the purpose? See, I love what the Word of God does because God doesn't just give commands willy-nilly because He says, I said so. Right, he gives a reason. And what's the reason? It says here. What's it say? That the word of God may not be reviled. Right, reviled. Now the LSB and the CSB they, they use the word slandered, and that's a good word. That's a good word for it. We, we certainly the, the reason why young women should live this way is so that the word of God isn't slandered among the unbelievers. Again, if the if if we are blood bought, spirit filled saints. That's certainly not a desire that we want. Is for unbelievers to slander the Word of God or for the reputation of our Lord to be mocked. And now we come to the young men. Titus 2, verse 6. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. There's only one command for younger men, but it is one that is all-encompassing. D. Edmund Hebert, he calls it comprehensive be self-controlled. In an age where Cretans were described as liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons, and in an age today where young men are enslaved by their various passions and pleasures, and in every age where young men are warned by the Word of God to flee familiar enslaving vices such as laziness, immorality, and fits of rage, this single, timeless, and all-encompassing command will serve any Christian young man well in every area of his life if he would only exercise the wisdom to heed his call. And again, I will be a broken record if you remember nothing else. Practice self-control now. Young men, do you realize that Satan plays the long game? Do you realize that he has put steps Things in your way before you even realized it to break down your self control before you even realize it's gone. Right? You, you start, like, you know, going over your screen time, right? Or indulging yourself in a little bit of this, or I'll just look at this thing, or I'll just do that thing, and before you know it, you're completely out of control. Young men, God has made you for a purpose to do good works, which is something that Titus talks a lot about too. And if you don't have self-control, you're going to be robbed of a lot of opportunities to do those good works for the Lord and to find joy in it. So don't just do it because the Lord tells you to, which you should anyway. But do it so you can find the joy of working hard for the Lord and accomplishing wonderful things for Him. Even Titus is not exempt from Paul's instruction to live a self-controlled, upright, and godly life. He is to teach others by his own example. Look at verses 7 and 8. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. So, Titus there is to show himself to be a model of integrity. I like what author Gunther Harder he he described the word this way, quote, innocence in the sense of not being or not able to be corrupted. end quote. Wouldn't you like what wouldn't you like to have a, a character that could not be corrupted? And Titus is called to do that because so much is at stake on his integrity. Second, we have dignity. And then third, we have sound speech that cannot be condemned. These things, he is to show himself as a model. Why? Again, the Lord gives a reason through the Apostle Paul. So that an opponent might be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. So Titus is not to give an enemy an opportunity to slander Christ's church. And then quickly we move to slaves, chapter two, verses nine and ten. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. So the Christian slave is forbidden from rebelling against his or her master, but instead to show them submission in everything. And this would of course train them how to submit to the Lord and everything as well. And they are to be well-pleasing. They're called to bring their masters pleasure and joy in their work and in their conduct. And by being well-pleasing to their earthly masters, you guessed it, they would be well-pleasing to their master in heaven as well. And they are to be not argumentative. Slaves are not to argue with their master over commands or their state of affairs. Instead, they are to be agreeable and compliant with their master's commands and current status. And they're not to pilfer. Anybody know what the word pilfer means? Thank you, Steele. I heard somebody say that. Yep. Bible commentators talk about, about how common theft was uh, among slaves. And they also talk about how in stark contrast to this, what they're supposed to do is to show themselves as quote, completely faithful, unquote. What What a... What a testimony that would have been in the ancient world. A slave who didn't steal and to show themselves as completely trustworthy. And what's the purpose of the Christian slave's lifestyle? So they may, and everything they may, adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. So again, there's another purpose. So we've covered older men, older women, younger men and younger women, and then... Moving along, families in the family of God live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives because of God's gracious works through Jesus Christ. And we'll just look at this quickly, verses eleven through fourteen. They say this: This is the basis, as it's talked about, as, as um, talked about. This is the basis. This is this is why. Verse eleven: For the grace of God has appeared This grace of God is personified in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of David, the Messiah, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. God's greatest manifestation of grace appeared in Jesus in His first coming, as Scripture says, He has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. Hebrews nine twenty six, and First John three verse five says this: You know that He appeared in order to take away sins. And in Him there is no sin. In His appearing, Jesus brought salvation for all people. Now this text is a good test of how you interpret the Bible. Because the context makes it clear that Jesus is not talking about every single person in the world. What He's talking about is all kinds of people. Because we just got done talking about what? All kinds of people, right? Older men... Younger women, older women, younger men, and slaves. Nobody, no class of people is excluded from God's salvation in Jesus Christ. Isn't that good news? Now this salvation not only cleanses from sin, but it also works. This salvation does two things, and this is what the text says. It teaches us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and it teaches us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. But while we are to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, we also should be marked by an underlying, ever-present, expectant, blessed hope for the future. And what's the text say? What is that? It says it's the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are to eagerly anticipate His return. This should be something that marks us every day. At every moment, we should be eagerly awaiting for Him to return and to see His glory and to be with Him. It's a prime motivation for holiness in every any believer's life. Amen? And then Paul goes on to further describe what Jesus did in His first coming. He gave Himself for us. And what was the twofold purpose? What's it say? To redeem us from all lawlessness... And to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. So Jesus dies to buy back his people from their bondage to sin, which First John three four says is lawlessness. And he does it to purify for himself a people, a family. And I like the way that the language is here there because the it it, it uh, shows it's singular. So the family is like a unit. And the zealous for good works, really you could read that as a good works zealot. The church should be known as a good works zealot. Authors talk about that, in other words, being enthusiastic. We should be enthusiastic for doing good works. We should be trying to be busy all the time how we can do good works and... The good works that we are to do, we've even seen right here in the text tonight. is to walk in this way that the Lord has called us to walk. And then finally, living a self-controlled, upright, and godly life is to be declared. Look at uh, Titus 2.15. Declare these things. And it's also to be exhorted and rebuked depending on the situation. He says, exhort and rebuke with all authority. And then finally, no one in the family, in a family, and no one in the family of God is to disregard it. Look what it says here. Let no one disregard you. Now, author, commentators, and a pastor, uh, Jim Elliff, they're really good at pointing out that Titus here is what's quote-unquote called an apostolic representative. He's not a pastor per se but he carries the authority of an apostle, the Apostle Paul. And he was to declare what was instructed. He was to exhort the believers to live this way. And he was to rebuke those who didn't listen. And he was not to let anyone disregard him. That's a temptation for all of us. Because even though we don't have Titus here reading, we have words that were written to him right here. And we have 65 other books in the Word of God that are written, as the Bible says, for our instruction. And it would be to our peril if we disregarded it. And we are not to do so. So those in our lives who are teaching us these things, we do not have the right to disregard them. When our pastors share from us the Word of God and how we are to live, we are not in a position to say, well, I have a different opinion or I see it differently. We are not to disregard them as they are being faithful to Scripture. And members of the family, I will tell you this. If you're being instructed on how to live and you have the Bible as your backing, you have no right to disregard that either. But as we can see, why would we want to? Because this is the way. This is the way of sanity. This is the way of life. This is the way of true happiness. So what have we seen? What have we learned? What has Scripture shown us? It's revealed to us that what puts families in the family of God in order is teaching what accords with sound doctrine. It's demonstrated that every type of person in the family and the family of God is put into order in living a self-controlled, upright, and godly life. And it's clearly taught us that families in the family of God live this way in light of what Jesus has done. What He has done and what He's going to do. And then finally, this should be declared. We should exhort believers to live this way. We should rebuke them. Gently. (laughs) If they don't, and we have no right to disregard this. May the Lord give all of us, older men, older women, younger men, younger women, we're going to be hearing a lot of what it is to live this type of life. Please, Pray that you have ears to hear and hearts ready to receive. And as a matter of fact, that's how we're going to end our time. We're going to pray for that right now. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the saints that are here this evening. I pray, Father, that you would give us ears to hear, to, ears to hear, not, and hearts to receive. Not only what your Word has said even this evening, but as our pastors and others will teach teach this evening, uh, the, these coming days, of what it is to live in a Christian family and how it is to live an upright and godly life in the present age. Forgive us for when we failed and help us to walk uh, as you would have us to walk. We thank you for the forgiveness that you offer in Christ and the cleansing that we are forgiven for our failures in this. But we thank you also for the grace that helps us to renounce ungodliness and live these lives. Let us uh, live in that more faithfully even tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.